sweet time of, of worship and uh, that new song. What do you think? I liked it too. Got to bring that back for sure, for sure. So appreciative of, of uh, our worship team. And I don't know if you know, sometimes you, you, you're at a place so long that you start to take things for granted. Don't take that stuff for granted. It's a, it's a true gift from the Lord. And uh, uh, last song, it is well with my soul. And, and I thought, man, it's a little ironic given the topic I'm going to preach about that it was well with your soul, and then the pastor got up and he's going to talk about money. Um, I, actually, I'm really excited to talk about it, uh, and, and in light of last week's sermon, I, I want you to know I'm not being sarcastic either. Um, and, and also, you should know I don't have some kind of urgent appeal to make, so you can relax with that. Um, I'll leave that for someone else. Uh, and we got some new carpet up on the platform. Um, I mean, I don't know who's going to pay for it. But, uh, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't pass the plate here, and I'm not going to start today. Um, so, again, don't, don't panic. Don't, don't leave. Lock the doors. We're good. Um, but it, it's, it's true. There's probably a, a number of pastors who kind of dread this kind of a topic, and you maybe think, uh, hey, Rob, you kind of drew the short straw twice. You talked about work, and now you're talking about money. Um, I don't feel that way at all. I feel very humbled, very blessed. Um, to do so, number one, because God wants us to be joyful, and it seems to me that everything that he says about money and about generosity is meant for our good. He's not saying this stuff to crush us, right, uh, to enslave us, to punish us, to cause guilt or shame. But, um, and the other reason I like to talk about financial and material stewardship is, uh, like, the Bible has so much to say about it. Um, it it's on some topics, right? We, we get, can get off track because the Bible says so little. Um, what does the Bible say about, you know, pandemics or about AI or about TikTok or about essential oils or, um, right? And um, not a lot. And uh, so we don't have a lot of specific instructions, so there's not much to get dogmatic about. But when it comes to money and wealth and poverty and, and, and possessions, we have the opposite problem. Uh, the Bible says so much about those things. The, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about, talk about money. And because the Bible says so much about it, though, it's easy for, for people to kind of pick and choose from all those passages. And you can end up with kind of a, an imbalanced theology um, on, on wealth and poverty and, and possessions. You can take a, a few promises from the Mosaic Covenant out of the uh, uh, national context, you can take the, like the promise of Malachi chapter 3 about throwing open the storehouses of heaven. You can mix that in with some of Jesus' statements about receiving uh, whatever you ask in his name and in faith. And, and you can bake up a little health and wealth gospel. Um, you can argue that the rich guys are the good guys in the Bible. Uh, can't you find a lot of, of rich good guys like, like Job and Abraham and Solomon and, um, you know, if you look at the kings in, in, in the Old Testament, there's a measure of their goodness that seems to be proportionate but with how they were blessed with wealth and possessions. And even as we take a picture of heaven uh, and catch a glimpse of, of that uh, vision, uh, there's feasting and there's streets of gold and the pearly gates, right? Um, but also on the flip side of that, 
uh, we could just as easily and persuasively argue that the rich guys are the bad guys. Uh, the rich man in Lazarus, if you take Jesus' uh, Luke uh, account in Luke, where he says, woe to the rich. The book of James is full of admonitions, um, uh, warnings to the rich. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, right? Uh, so both rich, poor, they both seem to have their challenges. And maybe that's why we find this prayer uh, by Agar. Uh, prayer in uh, Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. He says, two things I ask of you. God, two things. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane, profane the name of God. This is uh, the, the famous middle class passage in Proverbs. It's a prayer. Uh, don't make me too rich. Don't make me too poor. Right? Um, why? Why that prayer? In verse 9, it gives the answer. Because if I'm rich, if I'm full, I, I might be tempted to go like, I, I don't need anything. I've got everything I, I need. I'm, I'm safe. I'm secure. Um, I'm satisfied. Um, uh, you know, on the other hand, if I'm poor then uh, I, may, I may think that God doesn't care. On one hand, like, I don't need God. On the other hand, God doesn't, doesn't care. And I may be even tempted, it says in the passage, to steal whatever it takes to meet my needs. Rich or poor, I, I may think that uh, I, I don't need the Lord or that the Lord doesn't need me. And the um, reality is this is just pointing to our, the condition of our human heart. Um, and to the dangers of both extreme poverty and um, uh, that you might forget God or extreme, I'm sorry, uh, riches where you might forget God or extreme poverty where you may begin to believe somehow that God maybe doesn't exist or at least he doesn't exist for you. Didn't Jesus teach us to, to pray, give us today our daily bread, right? Give me just enough for today uh, for what I need. Kind of a middle class, if you will, living paycheck to paycheck. Um, in Proverbs 22, 2, though, we read that the rich and the poor meet together, that the Lord is the maker of them all. And when it says that they meet together, um, the, the city gates, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but that's the place where they did business. And so everyone would be doing business at the same place. It may also mean a meeting together, uh, a little stronger than that, that they have a common bond. Um, but he says they have the same maker. There is a, a, a bonding together of all people in that way because income doesn't change image. Uh, all are made in the image of God and all have inherent worth and honor and dignity uh, born out of that, that image. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, now why am I saying that? Um, because of the relevancy of this topic, regardless of whether you're rich or poor or middle class, whatever comparison you want to make that always has uh, danger inherently in it when we draw comparisons uh, with our neighbors or across the world, but we have the same maker. That means we have the same struggles. We have the same problems. And, and, and it means that this topic has relevance for all of us. The, the differences and the dangers aren't in the uh, amount of or our position in, but the differences and the dangers come in how we manage it, what we do with it, 
how we steward those resources, whatever it is that we have been given from the Lord, either wisely, if you will, or foolishly. We're in Proverbs, right, this summer, and today marks the halfway point in a nine-week series, uh, The Way of Wisdom. And, and really, Proverbs is one of many, but a great place for us to go to develop a biblical theology uh, of material possessions. There's a lot, I've said, a lot of verses on the subject, and Proverbs is giving us uh, maxims, um, aphorisms, um, that is kind of a pithy, true statements with nuggets of truth in them that are important for us, not ironclad laws, but uh, statistical probabilities, not promises, not always the way things sh um, uh, should be, but versus telling us the way they, that things generally are. And, and so I poured through Proverbs, and uh, I'd like to um, uh, take kind of three categories, if you will, in looking at the breadth and the depth of Proverbs um, that describe the wise use rather than the foolish use of money, how to manage money wisely. First, manage it carefully, carefully. The Bible, uh, a lot of different angles, it shows just like last week when Matt talked about the tongue and the power of the tongue. The same could be said of money, the power, the influence of, of money. Um, and, and so it, the Bible takes seriously the good stewardship, the wise stewardship of that money. And uh, I covered this last week, but the first bullet point there, um, a couple weeks ago, sorry, when I talked on the topic of, of work, uh, so I'll be quick here, but uh, number one is work hard for it. Part of managing, handling it wisely is you work hard for it. And really, we're talking about a character issue here. And remember, it was like consider the ant, right? Work hard, be, be diligent. And uh, add another thought to that in these two uh, passages in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. It says, whoever works this land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And uh, Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And, and, and what he's talking about here, in, in addition to that hard work, is, is the, the, the longevity of that work that uh, we're trying to avoid that uh, temptation to kind of... Uh, take shortcuts, right, and get rich quick schemes. And uh, if you live long enough, um, you'll be offered opportunities that you'll go, man, that sounds too good to be true. And it sounds too good to be true, why? Because it probably is too good to be true. And yet there's testimonials and, and marketing schemes and, and eyewitness kind of people going, hey, it worked for me. It worked for me. And, uh, and I will tell you um, uh, that uh, I know far more whose financial lives were devastated uh, by grabbing at get-rich-quick schemes than uh, the other way around. Um, and so part of being careful in the use of money and in the acquisition of money is uh, we work hard as unto the Lord, regardless of what the job is, regardless of what the task is, regardless of who's watching or not watching, uh, but we work hard as unto the Lord. Uh, second is to keep track of it. Keep track of it. This is an accounting principle. How many, how many accountants do we have? Wow, that hand went up fast. And then a few others are like this. And see all of them. It's good. Everyone needs an accountant. So, um, But how many of you aspire to be an accountant? Um, 
How many of you, I want to ask that question. Um, we love our, our accountant. It's good. Um, but this is an accounting principle, and I know, you know, as soon as we say accounting, for a lot of people, it's like, ugh, like shut down. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23 to 24a says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. So how, how many of you um, have flocks? Wow, I'm amazed. Not a single hand went up. You, you guys have flocks? That's cool. A, a small flock? <laughs> and, uh, but flocks, I want you just to replace flocks with assets. It's just assets. That's what he's talking about here. And, and, and back then, a uh, uh, majority of people had flocks, uh, sheep and, and, and cows and seagulls. I mean, that's a song. But um, uh, <laughs> replace flocks. I don't know where that came from. Re- replace flocks with assets in that verse. So know well the condition of your assets. Um, have, have you heard uh, or said yourself, I don't know where it all went? I, I don't know where it's gone. Like you, you get to the end of the month or whatever, and it's like, what happened to it, right? Um, well, you ought to know. You should know. Um, ignorance plus credit plus indulgence equals trouble. And so you need to watch carefully over your assets. You need to know, I'm going to give you four things you need to know. You need to know what you owe, what you owe, what you own, what you earn, and where it goes. What you owe, what you own, what you earn, and where it goes. Some people might call it a budget. <laughs> but that's a bad word, so we don't, we're just going to call it these four things. Um, but the more you... The more you know, the less you worry. Isn't that true? For a whole list of things. And so the more you know about what you owe and what you earn and where it goes, and the, the less you'll, you're going to worry. And, uh, and also the more you know, the more you'll be prepared for life's changes and challenges. Um, you know, things like job loss or health issues or uh, a turn in the economy. Right, um, and uh, and you'll be you'll be more prepared for that um, if you know if you keep track if you're careful, and uh, you'll also be prepared to respond to opportunities, um, to respond to good causes and and God opening up doors of opportunity to meet someone else's need or to support a ministry or a missionary. We've got, right, right now, we have a, a team that's in Scotland. We have a team that's in Slovenia, um, and they're serving. And, um, uh, you know, it's part of my job to, to manage and to track our, our financial resources. And, and so to see, um, see that opportunity and to see people respond to that. And you want to put yourself in that kind of a position, and part of that is, is being careful with it and keeping good track of it so that you can. Uh, third uh, is actually fourth. I did a little switch um, in, in your bullet points just to make sure you're with me. And, and so uh, number three is number four on your outline. Are you, are you tracking with me? I said keep good track. So um, here, here it is. Uh, avoid bad debt. Here's uh, Proverbs 22.7, and I could have pulled up a, a bunch of verses, but 22.7, it says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. The one who borrows has obligations, right, uh, obligations to the one who lends. 
uh, they're now uh, indebted to them. And, and debt can be oppressive. It can be consuming. And it can drain you of, of, of resources and, and of, of joy. Uh, eight out of ten Americans, eight out of ten have uh, consumer debt. So we're not talking here about mortgage, mortgages. We're not talking about what, what could be considered like good debt, that it's investment that has a return on it, but consumer debt. And the average debt for those eight out of ten, the average debt is $38,000. That's average. And this is, I mean, usually I will say like, man, I know you guys are way above average. This is one of the times I don't want you to be above average. I want you to be way below average, people. Okay? I, I mean that in this area, right? Um, so, and so it, it's saying that the vast majority of people are over their heads in debt. And, and it puts enormous pressure on people's lives. And, and if you're in that position, you know, I know you're nodding your head if you're not nodding your head. Right? It puts enormous pressure. And uh, it puts pressure on relationships. puts pressure on, on um, just day-to-day, -day, the kind of stress of that, because you have a couple of options. Do I make more or spend more? Right? And you're weighing those kind of things. But they lose, you lose freedom, and, and it can drive you to fear. And fear is not a good thing. Um, because our yearnings always exceed our earnings. Isn't that true? Our yearnings always exceed. I mean, I've had people in my office over the years, and they're walking through some of these challenges, some of their worries and fears, and then we start to get down to brass tacks. We get down to numbers, and I'm hearing the number, and, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I make $500,000, but I don't know where it goes. And it's not liquid, and I'm like, man, I wish I had your problem. Now, I mean, I don't say that, but I'm just kind of thinking that. And, and yet... Um, because they haven't maybe tracked that or because of the debt load that they're carrying to, to match kind of a lifestyle of their, their yearnings, they're, they're upside down and they're in trouble. And, and I would just say, man, not all debt is bad, but bad debt can be really dangerous. And, um, you know, we, we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have. And the irony is it's often to impress people that we don't even like. And... Um, it's easy to get into debt. It can be really hard to get out. So be diligent, be disciplined. We're going to talk actually about this a little bit as a church. Um, as we head into the next ministry year, we, we, um, we're going to look at ways that we can make debt retirement a priority for our church because as a church, we're carrying uh, some debt for some facility loans and to pay those off to be in a debt-free position will allow us uh, some freedoms and some opportunities and I also want to say, though, man, I'm just so appreciative of coming in and having done a number of, of capital campaigns uh, through the years, um, how incredibly generous so many of you were to the Deep Roots campaign. And uh, really, we just need to figure out next steps, right, so that we're not paying interest um, and uh, we're able to eliminate that debt. Uh, finally, don't trust it. The last bullet point is there, don't trust it. Proverbs 11, 4 and 28, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Uh, you, you, we should be careful not to put our trust in money. In other words, we need to be careful because money can, can, can cause us somehow to feel more secure than we actually are. Money doesn't ensure security um, or safety. 
But I will say that it does provide, uh, you know, options, more options for us. It gives us options. Money, in fact, is neutral. There's nothing inherently in and of itself good or bad about money. It's how we think about it and how we use it or how it uses us. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the good part, it is a resource. It's a resource that God entrusts to us to, to meet our basic needs. It's, it's uh, a resource we can use to create and to build and to grow and, uh, and to help and uh, to advance uh, good causes, to advance the gospel. It can be good. On the other hand, money can be something that, um, that turns in on itself and can become an idol. Uh, money can make us feel uh, uh, you know, bigger or smaller than we actually are, uh, more important or less important than we really are in Christ. Um, I want you just to think about maybe one of the last major purchases uh, that you made. You don't have to shout it out. Uh, but maybe a new car or a house or some new clothes. Um, and uh, it can cause people to treat you differently or deferentially uh, to show favoritism. Um, uh, I bought a, um, a new uh, a water feature for our backyard. Um, uh, my wife reminded me after the first service that she actually clicked uh, by and uh, my Father's Day gift. And, um, and, uh, and, and I did it so that we could pretend that we actually bought a, a cabin by a stream. You know, it, 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 it makes me feel privileged. Um, now, that's, that'll last a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, anyway, somehow we can purchase things to, to give us a sense of our own standing or status or well-being or whatever that might be. And, and there's some great provision in the Lord for that kind of stuff. But money can give us a false sense of that. And uh, money can place you in a position where, where what happens is, is we lose a, a, a sense of something that's always true, and that is we're not in control and we're always dependent upon the Lord. And that spiritual need, uh, just like uh, emotional, physical, relational need, um, as we turn that to the Lord and cry out to him, that's a good thing for us. That's an important thing for us. Um, if you're not careful, though, money can, can go to your head and uh, to your heart. Um, this is why Paul gave Timothy these instructions in 1 Timothy 6.17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It, it all belongs to him. Uh, right? Uh, anything we have, anything we are, comes from him. That's good. Money cannot give ultimate security. It can't. There are a thousand ways that you can, you can make money and a thousand ways that you can lose it. It's fleeting, right? You can't take it with you. And, uh, and so the Bible is always is telling us not to put our trust in money. Even our money is saying not to put our trust in money, to put, to put our trust in God. Uh, to put our trust in Jesus. In him, in him and only him, only Jesus, do we find real and lasting security and safety and significance. So be thoughtful with your money. Be careful uh, with how you handle money. Be mindful um, uh, how you use it for good or for ill. Um, uh, use money, but be careful that money isn't using you. Be careful that you don't love your money, right? It's not... 
money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That you don't put your trust in money, but in God. That you don't, that you don't find your identity, your significance in money, but in Christ. Manage your money wisely. That is carefully. And number two, justly. Justly. Money is powerful, as we said. Proverbs has a lot to say about uh, how that power can be used in unjust, unfair ways. Money can be gained unjustly. It, it can be used unjustly. Money can create and entrench the marginalization of people. I'll say that again. Money can create and entrench the marginalization of people. But this shouldn't be at all surprising because if money can say something about ourselves to us, it can also be used to hurt and to neglect others. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about a social justice agenda or movement. Historically, that has, that has uh, represented something that has uh, placed the gospel, um, uh, has sought to replace the gospel. Changing uh, society became more important than telling people about the nature of their sin and their need for a savior. We're not talking about social justice, but we are talking about biblical justice. But my fear is that many uh, in our society, our culture today, are more informed about justice from their political parties or from the news than they are from the books of the Bible, from Amos and Isaiah and Proverbs, for example. The Bible is full of concern for justice and the just use of money. Proverbs 10.2 and then 16.8, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit but righteousness delivers from death. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Uh, money can create an ends justify the means mentality. Sometimes uh, uh, money is earned uh, fairly, but there are, uh, would you not agree, times when it's not, when, when, when someone is learning to, to game the system, if you will, or take advantage of people, in the name of, it's just business, buyer beware, right? Uh, the the, 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 the uh, survival of the fittest. Um, it, it can be, that can be unfair, unjust, and um, the Bible has something to say about that. We need to earn money in a just, honest, fair, ethical manner. That's, that's the call, that's the admonition to us, uh, and we need to use it that way. Proverbs repeatedly warns about how money can be used to treat people unjustly, particularly the poor. Money gives uh, people power and not only creates options, it gives uh, uh, those who have it the best options, some that are not accessible to people without money. A few warnings, strong warnings in Proverbs chapter 22 says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will not only come to poverty, uh, do not rob the poor. I feel like I read that wrong. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Uh, one of my um, seminary profs at Denver Seminary, Dr. Craig Blomberg, in a book entitled Neither Poverty Nor Riches observes that fewer than one-third of the Proverbs uh, that are talking about uh, poor and rich teach that people get what they deserve. The rest, the other two-thirds, um, recognize the presence and the problem of 
socioeconomic injustice. Uh, just a quick survey of American history would show the, the grievous connection between slavery and financial gain. I, I believe at the heart of it, that really is what often uh, has driven and drives it. Um, no one is poorer than when they are uh, a slave. And that continued beyond the Civil War, beyond the 13th Amendment. I, I, I know, right, I, I, I know there's a complicated and heated uh, discussion in recent years about all of this. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, but my goal here is not to exegete the problem, okay? I merely want us to realize that the Bible talks about the oppression of the poor very clearly. It, it's not some social justice problem. It, it has been, and it is a human problem. The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer is more than a catchphrase. It's a complex matter with very real consequences, and it's something that God is calling and inviting us as followers of Christ to enter into and make a difference. What's more, the text warns about the crushing of the afflicted at the gate. We're back to the gate, and this is a place where decisions were made, where decisions makers uh, met, and where grievances were addressed. It's where the elders of the city gathered together. Uh, Dwayne Garrett an Old Testament scholar says, here the text warns the powerful not to use legal devices to exploit the poor, lest they find themselves arraigned before a much higher judge. Uh, human beings, um, at some level, we're, we're, we're notorious for using whatever means, including legal means, to preserve wealth and our position, our status. The same could be said on, on topics like abortion. An unborn baby has no voice and no financial power. And, and, and I believe we need to wonder how many children have been killed because of financial expediency. Crushing the um, afflicted at the gate from the womb to the tomb is something we must constantly guard against, be mindful of, and be light in the midst of that darkness. To handle money wisely requires that we handle it carefully, that is justly, and, um, and also generously. Last point. I'll just tell you that um, what's true of me anyways, I want to be more generous. I want to be more generous with my time, with my testimony, and the giving of, of treasures, um, but I am, um, by nature, I, I can be selfish and I can be greedy and I can be stingy. That's probably just me. Um, no, how about you? I think for most of us, the issue is an understanding the need for generosity. I, I believe that, that God puts that in us, but it's embracing the practice of generosity. For those who, uh, who may struggle to be generous, it's generally not a knowledge issue. And that's true, I believe, for much of Scripture. We, we, it's not that we don't know it. It's, it's that we're not doing it. And really, by definition, that's what wisdom is. It's not purely knowledge, but it's putting that knowledge into practice in love, right? It's to know the truth and do it in love. That's wisdom. And, and so the world says, as quick as you can, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. I'm not sure why you chuckled at that. No. 
hear that though. It's like get all you can, can all you get, right? And, and sit on the can. But the word, the word, God's word calls us to a very different path. John Wesley famously said it this way, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. That's generosity. That's generosity. Proverbs is filled with uh, exhortations uh, for generosity. Not just to know it and desire it, but to do it. It's how we express our understanding and our gratitude for the graciousness of God, for the generosity of God, for, for God who, who, who gave himself up for us, who, whose grace is sufficient for us. It's, it's our response driven by his initial gift to us. So bunches of passages, whoever is, uh, Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay him for this deed. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Proverbs uh, 28, 22 and 27, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Straight up, right? Straight up. God gives you money because he is generous. Uh, but he is generous with you so that you might be generous with others. And when you are generous with others, God will likely, probability is, be more generous with you. That's the cycle of generosity. That's the cycle of generosity. This is how money can be used wisely, powerfully. It can become a conduit for the blessing of the Lord in your life and through your life to others, right? It is more blessed to give than to receive, but you, you, you cannot uh, uh, receive unless someone gives, right? So there's a, a cycle there. There's a win, win, win with generosity. Money can be a means for creating thanksgiving in the hearts of those who receive it and a joy in the heart of the giver. I, I want to show you a picture um, up on the screen. This is, um, this is just a little over a week ago. This picture of generosity. These kids are bringing an offering uh, during vacation Bible school. They were invited to bring money to help a ministry called Street Reach in the city of Memphis. Um, and we had, uh, you know, some 48 students and leaders who were just serving there that week before VBS um, with that ministry and came back to share about some of that. And, um, and so they, they set a goal, just arbitrary, not knowing, but a goal of $500. And at the end of the week, uh, like over $1,900. Okay. And, and just pure chance that that ended up being the amount that was needed to buy a bounce house for that ministry. I, don't, I mean, just pure chance, right? And uh, I've got four kids. They're not kids anymore. Um, but when, when they were littles and attending vacation Bible school, um, you know, I know how this worked. There was always an offering, right? And so they would, they would, they would get into my car, and uh, there would change, you know, inside the cups. And by, by day one, that was gone. And then they go like, hey, Dad, got, you got a buck or whatever? And, and I don't 
I don't carry cash like hardly ever now. Like I just don't. And um, uh, like plastic things you use. And, um, but then I did. And so, you know, every, every day on the way, they'd be like, hey, Dad. And um, usually the question was, well, yeah, that's my money. It's easy to be generous with my money. Um, but what about yours, right? And, uh, and, and so I, while I know how that goes, I also know this. In talking with uh, Melissa, our, our children's pastor, she shared the story of a 10-year-old boy who uh, was bringing a bag of coins, a bag of coins just like these kids. And, and, uh, and uh, he said, I, I've been saving my whole life. I've been saving my whole life for this, right? I'm like, that'll make you cry, Right? And um, it reminds me of the, the little boy in, in the feeding of the 5,000. Like, that boy gave all that he had. He wasn't asked to give something he didn't have, but he gave all that he had. And God took those loaves of bread and those fishes, and look what he did with it. Right? Corey Ten Boom said, the measure of a life is not its duration, but its donation. It's not the amount that matters. It's how we manage what the Lord has given to us. Generosity reflects the graciousness of God to us. God so loved that he gave us his one and only son. God is a giver. Amen? I'm so glad he gave. And we will never outgive God. But we can give like God. Sacrificially and joyfully and generously. Generosity puts us in a position to trust in God's ability to provide to us and through us. To handle money wisely requires that we handle it carefully, justly, and generously. The so what this morning is for you, but it's also for us as a church. Because I I want you to know that the same wisdom, the same principles that apply to you individually, apply to our church and our church leadership. We're, We're called to be good steward a good sort of, of every resource that he entrusts us with. And it's a huge responsibility, and uh, I assure you we take it very, very, very seriously. We're in the process now of working on a budget for this next ministry year that will start on September 1, getting ready for Vision Sunday in a, a month from now, uh, where we'll look back in celebration, we'll look ahead in anticipation. And staff and others, uh, we've been working on initiatives and goals and strategies and calendars in response to what we believe God is calling us to next year, all that runs through uh, the word of God and, and unique mission, vision, and values uh, here at Fellowship. And we have a shared and a humble confidence that God will provide all that we need to accomplish all that he has prepared and planned. He is faithful. He has been. He is. He will be. He has done that for us and through us as a church family for for nearly 22 years. And so I want to invite you to pray for the process. I want to ask and urge you to pray for the process and your part in it. Because as a part of this church family, you have a part to play in it. Pray that we, individually and collectively, that we would be wise, that we would trust God, and that we would be careful, just, and generous. Money talks. Right? Money talks. And and if you follow the money back, what it does is it reveals something about us. It reveals where our hearts really are. 
How we handle our money says something about us. What does it say about you? What does it say about your heart? If, you, if, if your banking app could speak, what would it say? Right? Um, does it say you're wise or foolish? Do you manage your money carefully or carelessly? Do you use it justly or unjustly? Do you use your money generously? Or are you greedy and stingy? I'm going to give you a moment. Just reflect upon those questions to continue to listen to the Lord and ask what it is that he might have you do in response to all that he has already done. Let's take some time. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Truth, real, relevant, practical, helpful. God, thank you that you tell us your word that when we need wisdom, we just need to ask. And this is an area we need wisdom. We need wisdom. How to manage, how to steward all that you have entrusted to us. And to do it in such a way that the honor and the glory would be yours. We're in absolute dependence upon you. God, help us to be the kind of people whose money speaks out of a heart that is fully devoted to you, Jesus, totally connected to you. God, I pray for us as a church body that we would be good stewards. Pray for our leadership and for decision-making and for budgeting. And, and uh, God, we need to, and we're not exempt from that. We need to model it. We need to turn to you. and We need to be held accountable. We will be held accountable. And what's true for us collectively is true for us individually. And so, again, we ask for your wisdom and guidance. God, for those who are under the, uh, the, the weight of uh, insufficiency or uh, overwhelmed by debt or, or are just bound up in uh, the materialism of our age, whatever that is, whatever the challenge is, God, I pray for freedom for them. I pray for uh, diligence and discipline. And I pray for a plan to be found in your name and to be worked in your strength. God, uh, again, 
We thank you for all that you've given. Most of all, thank you for giving us your son, our Savior by faith, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for the fullness and the sufficiency of your generosity in our lives. We owe you everything. We owe you everything. Thank you that our security and our significance eternally is found in you and you alone, Jesus. Help us to honor that gift. Help us to honor you for you are worthy. We pray these things, we ask them in your name. And all God's people said, amen.